Please remain standing, and if you are a visitor, please grab a bulletin. We're going to ask you to read out loud Isaiah 53, 1 through 10, as we quote out loud Isaiah 53, 1 through 10. But first, I have a present for all of you. You have been memorizing Isaiah 53 now for six months, and have many of you have struggled and wrestled and it put hard work, and you only have three or four verses good and two or three verses kind of good. And I'm going to give you a gift. And this gift is going to make it a thousand times easier to memorize. It's going to make it so easy that you'll be memorizing for the rest of your life and loving it. Here's the gift. The secret to Bible memorizing is five minutes a day to hook a habit with a habit. Say that. Hook a habit with a habit. If you do that... And there are five habits. I call them the specs, the specifics or the specs of habits. There's five main habits. One is sleeping. For 29 years, I have gone to sleep almost every night. I, I'm wired, I'm hyper, and I can't sleep, and I quote the word. Sometimes just one or two verses over and over again. I wake up two or three in the morning, can't get back to sleep. I have done this for almost 30 years. Second one is prayer. Third is exercise. I've also done both of those for 30 years. Just five, ten minutes a day of quoting the word. C is the greatest waste of time in the history of mankind. <laughs> Can somebody say amen? amen? And if you could take just five minutes every day in your commute, it's amazing how much you, less you would cuss at other car workers. It's just amazing. You, just, you wouldn't be tempted. And the last has a picture of me. Shower. Singing in the shower. These are about the only five points of privacy left. How many of you already, and I used the first three and have for almost 30 years, how many of you already have found one daily habit five minutes a day that you hook a habit to? Hold your hands up. For those of you who have, you've probably discovered that in two weeks you memorized more than in six months. How many don't have a habit but you're willing to pick one? Hold your hands up. Keep your hand up and point it at the screen. Pick one or two. Say, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try this. And just try it this week. Find the grace of God. Join with me. Isaiah 53, 1 through 10. Put some punch into it here today. You ready? Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised, rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now pause for a moment before you quote verses 7 and 8. We're going to be studying these two verses for the next month at least. And these are verses that say that at the cross of Christ, every demon in hell came. And we're going to study the word oppressed and afflicted. Oppressed means to pressure. Afflict means to put down, to call depressed, to weaken, to stoop. And he, by, by oppression and judgment, these are, these, are, these are crushing words. Every demon in hell poured their foulness on Christ on the cross. 
so that when he rose again, we can say, by the blood of Jesus, I rebuke you, Satan. Verse 7, join with me. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. In the name of Jesus Christ and by the power that's in that name, we claim the word, the spirit, the blood of Jesus, the victory of Jesus in our lives, and that everything in our lives would glorify our King. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. As you're being seated, grab your sermon handout. And as I mentioned, we are studying a very intense subject. Now, I have some core value agreement requests before we dive in. How many of you would agree with me that the subject of demonic oppression is a pretty weird subject? Can you say amen to that? And when you get into weird subjects, even though they are reality subjects, it's very, very easy to get off track and start forming opinions on side scriptures and to take strong stances on partial knowledge. And so we're going to go a little extra careful and a little extra clinical. I'm going to want to give, instead of two or three verses, sometimes six, seven, and eight verses. And I want to very clearly define when I'm giving you clear Bible stances and when I'm giving you John Fittner's opinion. So would you agree with me that if someone is operating on your body, you want them to be alert, clear, and calm. You don't want them dancing and chatting and flirting with somebody else while they're operating on your body. Can I have an amen to that? And so if we're going to deal with something as intense and serious like this. Let's treat it like a serious operation of our hearts by the Word of God. Starting place in this sermon is it's really some, just some simplistic things that most people know. But to understand the spiritual warfare of the cross of Christ, to understand that the Bible says that Satan entered into Judas. In fact, one of the key phrases in John 14, 30, where Jesus said, I will not speak with you much longer for the prince of this world is coming. He was defining that there is the, the climax of the cross and Satan and all his minions are coming to, to abuse our Lord. It says in Romans 8, 3, that God condemns sin and sinful man on the cross of Christ. Two questions we're going to process today, opening questions. Now, the first question is a right heart question. And here's what I mean by that. You, your heart is exposed by the questions you ask. Can you say that? People sometimes ask, intentionally defensive, defiant questions because they don't want the truth. You don't just get to ask any question. You're tested by your questions. Do your questions expand truth and understanding or do your questions shut down subject? Here's the, the most simple 
when, it, when someone doesn't want to know what the Bible says about demons, they ask an arrogant, defiant, and illogical and unbiblical question. They'll say something like this. They'll say, well, I don't think a demon can possess a Christian. You don't think a demon can possess a Christian. Well, first of all, possess isn't the Bible word. The Bible word is oppress. And second of all, why'd you ask that question? Were you looking for truth or were you looking to shut down a subject without any hunger to learn? Because if, if your heart is right, you ask this question. What does the Bible say about Christians battling demons? Is that a Bible concept? Because you see, oppression is a concept that says levels of influence. Say that three words. And so the issue is not... Um, how much, whether they own you or not, the issue is how much influence is a demon exerting in your life. Now let's talk with this question. Let's start with nine passages. I had about 20. I trimmed it down to nine. Um, we'll just start with this. Acts 5.3. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that a bad attitude has filled your heart? Is that what it says? Now Ananias, it says, who filled his heart? And, but see, that's okay, because Ananias was a visiting warlock from, is that right? Who was Ananias? A member of the church, possibly a leader in the church. Hello? A leader in the church having Satan in his heart? Woo-hoo. Let's not go there too far. Second <laughs> Corinthians 2, verses 10 and 11, Paul said, In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. Are we unaware of his schemes? Most Christians are. Listen to me very carefully. All of Satan's and demons' powers is to remain hidden, to let you believe that all these thoughts are from you. This is probably the best book ever written. I've already written all the information down in your sermon handout. It's called The Bondage Breakers. It came out in 1990, um, but you can still order through Christian bookstores. Overcoming Negative Thoughts, Irrational Feelings, and Habitual Sins. I highly recommend this book. And he explains that dealing with demons is not a power encounter, but a truth encounter. And he says some amazing things here. One thing that Neil Anderson says, he says, In his experience... Only about 15% of Christians are able to distinguish the four sources of where the thought comes from. You see, the thought that's in your mind may come from God, may come from your human reasonings, may be a reaction of your flesh, or it may be a demonic influence. And he said 85% of Christians have not learned enough of the word and the spirit to discern. Is this God? Is this my human reasoning, which might be God? eventually teaching me, is it my flesh reaction or is this demonic? I am never, ever going to say that demons excuse responsibility. But listen to me. Your wrong thoughts, your reactions, your flesh, your, your sin patterns are like a campfire. But once you have given demons legal right to influence you, it's like a gas hose being poured on the campfire. And so the cry of Paul's heart is still cried today. Christians, you're in a battle with a living entity and you must know his strategies. And so sadly, a lot of people are unaware of his schemes. See, everyone in this room has had demonic interactions or battles over thousands of times in your life. The question is, did you know it? Because if you did not know it, that means that Satan is now very powerful because the Bible says in Jude that he is chained in darkness. 
And his power is always in darkness and deception. Third passage. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against all the naughty things in this world. Is that what it says? It says that there's a living entity in his dominions. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 1 Thessalonians 2.18 For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but it really wasn't God's will at this time. Is that what it says? It says, I had an adversary, I fought against him, and I lost. Listen, it's not a battle unless you have the potential to lose. This is not a game. This is a living entities assigned that hate you and want to destroy you. And Paul went up, sometimes you lose, learn more when you lose a battle than when you win it. 1 Timothy 4.1, the Spirit clearly says that in what times? Some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. According to this verse, will Christians' battles with demons increase or decrease as the end of time comes? Increase, very much. 1 Timothy 5.15 Some have in fact turned away to follow Satan. Who turned away? Fellow church members. 1 John 2.13 I write to you young men because you have... Listen to me. Look me in the eye. It is good to battle. It is a great thing to go head to head with an adversary who is stronger than you unless you operate in the king's power. It is a, it builds muscles, it builds strength, it builds dependency on the king. Revelation 2.24, now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira that you do not hold to her teaching. The Bible says that there are Satan's teachings come into the church. Satan's so-called deep secrets. Revelation 18, 1 through 5. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had great authority, and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. With a mighty voice, he shouted, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great, throughout Scripture, is the world's system. It's like an infrastructure. And it says here that in the world's system, it's a home for demons. It says it three times. A home for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit. Remember, Jesus called demons birds of the air, really vultures. They're attracted to death. Flies are attracted to wounds. Vultures are attracted to death. And a haunt for every unclean and detestable bird. Now, this is Bible. We're going to move away from Bible and give you John Fitner's opinion. John Fitner's opinion in a buck 25 will get you a bottle of water. My personal opinion is that Babylon is exemplified in one concept, and that is TV. The thing that saddens me is you don't see Christians who are broken. Rather, they get corroded to a place of uselessness. It's one thing to take a powerful steel rod and break it. It's another thing to watch it rust away. And when you embrace concepts over and over again, they become part of your mental framework. But that's just my opinion. For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of their adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her, and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. Then I heard another voice say, Come out of her, my people! Is it possible for Christians to habitate with demons? Yes! so that you will not receive any of her plagues for her sins are piled up to heaven and God has remembered her crimes. So, 
This first one, remember that your, your heart is tested by the questions you ask. So if you ask a right-hearted question, a simple question, does the Bible say that it is a normative practice for Christians to battle demons? What does the Bible say? Everybody. Yes, yes this, is a, this is the simple stuff. Yes, this is the normal way of life. Question two is also fairly simple, but goes a little deeper. Where does a Christian battle with a demon? Write down the two words, thought life. Now listen to me very carefully. Jesus said, Pharisees, you strain gnats and swallow camels. When you start studying demons, it's often easy to get just so weird. Ooh, this manifestation. Ooh, this car wreck. And ooh, this attack. It was all demonic. Biblically, 99% of the battle goes on in the mind. And so all of a sudden you start doing external things. That's usually a distraction technique to avoid the real battle. And the real battle, here's what the, here's what the Word of God says. And this is, a, this is a, 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 a pinnacle verse in the Bible. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war. This is spiritual warfare as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now on your sermon handout, write, write down strongholds. Strongholds is, is a very simple and illuminating phrase. Because next to strongholds, write a lie. The stronghold is a lie that you believe. And when you have a lie that you believe, the hold of that lie makes the demon who's attached to that lie very strong. And however much the lie has a hold on you is how strong the demonic influence. It's a very simple concept. See, the, the last part of what Jesus said in, in verse 31 is, I will not speak with you much longer for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me. So the reason it is desperately important when Jesus comes into your heart, the first room he wants to go to is the basement. And he wants to know every hidden thing. And I, I got to tell you, I beg of you to hear me. And I don't, I don't know, I, I don't like to hype things, but I just have never felt such an intensity in my life for now. Now, time is short. I see people that have come to Liberty Church and they come in and there's so much word and so much spirit and so much love here that they come in and they just get this fresh wave of passion for Jesus. And I know that they have six months to sometimes four or five years. They have a time frame. And Jesus is standing there. Oh, I love you, Jesus. That's wonderful, son. Let's go to the basement. No, Jesus. You know how unbiblical it is to say, I think the past should be left in the past. That's not Bible. That's man's pride. You, you think, what do you think if David said, we don't need to write nothing about that Bathsheba? <laughs> Moses, let's leave out that part about uh, murder and uh, Peter, let's, just, let's not put in the Gospels that part about you know, Jesus rebuking Satan and me, you know, that kind of thing. The Bible says that we glory in our weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on us. But every sin, every wrong, every pain is meant to be exchanged at the cross for riches. And when people bury things in the basement, it becomes a nuclear waste dump. And Jesus stands at the door and says, can we go down there now? I'll walk you through. I'll take every point of poison and pain and I'll make you rich. 
And there comes a time when you said no enough times that he walks away. And I've watched it happen. I've seen it happen thousands of times. And the window of, and, and the passion for Jesus is never there again. Because you wouldn't let him in the basement. The lies are in the basement. Let me give you some examples. The strongholds. Here's one. In fact, I'll give you, I'll give you four. Here's a lie that's in people's minds. Not once, but 10 million times. I couldn't survive if. I couldn't survive if I lost my house. I couldn't survive if I lost my job. I couldn't survive if my family ever found out this about me. I couldn't survive if my child died. Is that true? I couldn't survive if. Yes or no? Say it loud. No, it's totally a lie. But when you have embraced the lie, listen, the demons didn't come into your house. You invited them in. Every time you said, I couldn't survive with my family, you are opening your house and saying, demons of what demons? What demons come with I couldn't survive if? Fear. Fear. There is a fear every time you think it. There's not enough demons to fill your house because you've thought it 10 million times and said, I can't spare that many. <laughs> here's, here's a lie. I can't stand it when... What's demonic power comes with that lie? Spirit of? Uh, let, me, let me redo it in a phrase. I can't stand it when. There you go. <laughs> now you got it. Anger. Is that the truth? Is that the truth that you can't stand it? Come on, somebody. No. But because the lie has a hold in your heart, it's no longer just your anger. And I am not excusing your anger. But your anger has now had this oppressive intensity and a rage and uncontrol. And you have invited oppressive demons because of the lie. Jesus said in John 8, he said, If you hold to my teaching, you're truly my disciples. Then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Here's another lie. I could never forgive. Is that, is that the truth? What demon do you invite in when you do that? The worst of them all. Bitterness. You know what the Bible says? If you hold aught against anybody, that you are turned over to the torturers. It's not just forgiveness. I'm going to teach you on this one, maybe next week. But you must move beyond forgiveness to healing to thankfulness. Every wrong that was ever done to you was a Saul sent to make David rich. And if you haven't recognized that Saul was sent to make David rich, and David was maybe one of the richest men that ever lived because he was called a man after God's own heart. And the Bible says clearly that the king, I paid this price to forgive you, and you hold this petty thing, turn him over to the the torturers. This last one, no one's got right yet. And the sad part is, this is one of the strongest lies in society today. Here's the lie that opens up a, one of the worst demons of all. I'm so bored. Now, is that the truth that you're bored? Careful. Here's the truth. The truth is, you have taken a judgment against God. 
and you've looked at God and said, your ways of serving have no life. And so I refuse to serve because there's no life in serving. And the only satisfaction is sensuality. And all the sensuality and self-indulgence that I've done in the past no longer satisfies, so I've got to have more. Is it the truth that you're bored? No. The truth is you refuse to serve and you've judged God. What demon comes with the lie, I'm so bored? A demon of perversion. Perversion. This doesn't satisfy, so I've got to have more extensive. And that hasn't satisfied, and I'll never serve because that's not satisfying. And this doesn't satisfy, and it becomes perversion. Divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish. Now watch the verb repeated here. He's giving a synonym for strongholds. We demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and another synonym. Well, a pretension is a lie. An argument is a defiance against the truth that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive what? Every thought to make it be... Now, now let's go back to Isaiah 53. He was oppressed. This is what... This is, this is hard stuff for me because I, I... We battle one or two petty demons. Hundreds of thousands of millions of them. And we have authority to resist. Christ chose not to resist. It says he was oppressed, nagas, which means to press down, to drive, to oppress, to exact, to exert demanding pressure. And oh, if you could understand how simple it is to understand the difference between your own fleshly reaction and a demonic push. I have to do that. I have to react. I have to do this perversion. I have to do this evil. I have to run away. I have to be afraid of paralyzing, suffocating drivenness. He was oppressed and afflicted. Anah. Anah. To be bowed down. To be, what's the next one? Put down. To be put down. Dear ones, do you know that those thoughts, I'm so stupid, I'm such an idiot, I'm such a screw-up, those are not from your own mind. Do you have any idea how much he delights in getting you to say things? When people say these things, oh, I, I'll never trust God. He's laughing. He's laughing. He's looking at you saying, stupid idiot, I wronged you. And if you turned to the king, he'd have made you rich. But I got you blaming God now. And he laughs, he put down, to be depressed, to be downcast, to stoop, to weaken. Verse 8, by oppression and judgment. Otzer. On your handouts, write this down under Otzer. The English translation of this word is restraint, coercion, barrenness. But it's not the vernacular translation, if you understand the difference of those two. Vernacular translation, what's the real life word? The real life word for Otzer is failure. That's what barrenness means, failure. Or write down the word useless. You know, I have directly or indirectly led about 2,000 men to freedom from victory over pornography. You know what the root lie is for men addicted to pornography? It's not sex. It's nothing to do with sex. In almost every case I've ever seen, when you get down into the basement, it is a sense of feeling like a failure. I'm just useless. 
and I'm, I'm, I'm no good. I'm just a piece of trash, and I know this is ruining everything about me, but that's what I deserve because I'm just a piece of trash. And that, that ulcer is oppressing. And you don't even know that those aren't thoughts from you and they're not thoughts from God. Three concluding thoughts. I beg of you to understand. I haven't even given you the verse in Jude about Satan, demons chained to darkness, but all their power is in not being seen not being recognized. There's a very, very funny passage in Acts 19 that I want you to read on your own today. But most people stop at verse 17 and they miss 18, 19, and 20. The story is the seven sons of Sceva. How many love that story? It's a great story. These, these seven sons of a priest, they were Jewish guys that were watching these Christians going, oh my gosh, so much power, healing, miracles. And they assumed that it was witchcraft incantations. They don't understand that when they say in the name of Jesus that there's relationship behind those words. And so they pulled in this demonic guy into the room and they gathered around them and they said, in the name of Jesus that Paul preaches, come out of him. <laughs> it's a great story. And the demon spoke up. The NIV actually does it best because King James says, I know Jesus and I know Paul. But actually it's two completely different words. What he said was, I know Jesus. Remember this demon was a fallen angel who for millions of years knew the glory of the living God. Godhood, Godhead in the Son who is fully God. So I know Jesus. And then he says, and I've heard about Paul. <laughs> Wouldn't you just love to have a reputation in hell? <laughs> I've heard about that George Delaney man. Don't mess with him. When George Delaney's, you know, the demons, hey, pass the word, George Delaney's, watch out. So this, this demon looks at the guys and says, I know who Jesus is, and I've heard about Paul, but who in the world are you? <laughs> and he turns and beats the stuff and strips them naked, and all seven men run, run bleeding from the room. But people miss the last three verses. It says... That when this became known in the church, a holy fear swept the church. Because people realized you're not dealing with an attitude, you're dealing with a living entity. And it says the, the body of Christ began to confess all their hidden sins. And it began to repent before God. And it says that a new spirit of God was poured out. And there was an anointing and a holiness. And it says the word of God spread rapidly. Because you see the demons, when you know who they are, you know that you need his grace, you need his purity, you need need his faith you need his power and you cry out to God and this part is not Bible this is John Fittner's opinion but I personally my guess is that after this huge wave of holiness after the Christians said demons are real and we're in a fight for our lives and we need everything of Jesus I think the other demons took the one mouthy demon and I think they beat the living daylights out of him <laughs> you stupid idiot now they know we're here they know we're here yeah, big mouth. This is my opinion. <laughs> Number two, this is why inner healing is so important. You know why you're here? Because God has called you to this church to have a fresh, passionate love for Jesus Christ. Every church has their callings. Our calling is passion. We are so passionate for Jesus. By the word, by the spirit, and by love, we are passionate. And God brought you here because there's a fresh passion. But if you don't let him into the basement, that season of passion will be over. And you will fade away. 
I'm begging you to understand he only takes no so many times. An inner healing course is very careful. Very careful. Number three. How many men here have ever worked in any kind of carpentry? Hold your hands up. All right, men, I'm going to start a construction company. I'd like to hire each of you. The problem is in my company, the only tools you're allowed are screwdrivers and pliers. We're going to build houses, but you're not allowed to have a hammer. You'll sing all day long. If I had a hammer. Kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't say that before. I just came to me here. (laughs) Now, and when you complain, I'm going to say, I gave you all the other tools. You don't have to have every tool. And you say, I got to have a hammer. Listen to me. I beg of you to hear this. When you understand what gives Satan legal right into your life, and you've cleaned out your basement, then the other half is understanding the battles of thought life. And you will battle every area of thought life, but especially any area of perversion or deep scar. If you get into pornography, themes of pornography and lust will come back at you regularly two, three times a year for the rest of your life. If you gave in to fear, you'll battle those demons. They'll come, keep coming knocking on the house and saying, is the house empty? Anger, whatever it comes in, you will battle those thoughts. Once your heart is clean, prayer doesn't help a lick in thought life. Did you know that? It's, you know, prayer is for discerning God's will and loosing his blessings on others. But in thought life, Psalm 119, it's very, very clear that the key to thought life is to think on something more addictive or powerful. I mean, let's just be real here, okay? Anger and irritation is your old flesh pattern. Somebody did something that just really ticked you off. And this spirit of anger says, oh, I, can't believe, I, I hate that dude, I hate that dude, oh, you know. All the prayer, I'm not going to get angry. In Jesus' name, I'm not going to get angry. Is that, is that working? I'm not going to lust. I'm not going to lust. I'm yeah, right. <laughs> the hammer. And I have all the tools. Be, love the Lord. Eat his word. Be deeply involved in a body. Share the word. Pray. Worship. But if you don't have this tool, you have no power. The, the fire hydrant of power against thought life is quoting the word. And when that anger comes, hi, ah, 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 and you have the word, something that for 2,000 years every Christian had, chapters of chapters, and you don't try to stop the anger, you just say, I forgive them, and now the anger is still coming. You say, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. In the first two verses, you can feel the clenching, but soon the power of the word comes. And then you're down into verses three and four and five. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. And before you know it, you have completely forgotten the battle because you loosed a power a thousand times stronger into your mind. Will you stand today? Elders, come forward quickly. Quickly and quietly, if you would, elders, come forward. And pastors. This is a very important series. And in just a moment after we pray, I'm going to ask you to do one of three things. I'm going to ask you to come up and talk to Tim and Pam who are going to come up over there in the corner right now. By the Come up there now. And talk about courses before your window of time comes. 
Or I'm going to ask you to come forward and pray with an elder. Some of you are going to need some serious prayer, some serious grace. Or I'm going to ask you to pray with someone next to you. But before we offer those three options, I want to ask you to close your eyes. And I'm going to process this personally. There are some of you, and nobody gets this without trained teachers walking you through. You don't just pray and get inner healing. There's deep studies of how trust is different than forgiveness. There's deep studies of all that the word says of judgments and, and the different things of woundings and how they get restored in your life. How many of you have been through at least one inner healing course and it's begun you on a path of having a clean basement? Hold your hands up. Now put your hands back down. I know your eyes are closed. But if you could see those hands, those, you, what you saw was hands of people who will never backslide. But it was only about 10%. The rest of you, those are the ones I'm talking to now, those who could not raise your hands. Even if you only have a little bit of trash in your basement. And I don't know how you're going to do this. I'm not going to tell you what course to do. Most people, it takes two or three courses to find the one that fits them, to find how it applies to them. But here's the question. Jesus is in your heart and he's standing at the door of the basement and he will not go into any other room. He doesn't negotiate. He's the king. And he says, I want to start down there. And when you say, yes, Lord, he says, it's going to hurt. But he's going to say, son, it's going to hurt because you're an eagle trapped in a tar pit. I'm going to get that tar off your wings, son. And daughter, I'm going to rinse these things that have clung to you. And I'm going to teach you how to fly. I'm going to teach you the wind of my spirit. And son and daughter, there's a power and a glory in you that Satan is terrified of. We're going to clean out the basement. And if you're here today and you are willing to begin a serious process of saying, Jesus... Anything you want to teach me and train me. Americans are very independent. I don't need to go through a course. Yes, you do. Just for the hard attitude of sitting through a course. Jesus, I want you to teach me and train me how to have a clean basement. If God is talking that to you right now, I want the holds of lies broken in my life. Hold your hand up right now. Hold it up high. Father, you see these hands. Just keep it up for a moment. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I loose a sealing by the Holy Spirit. Lord, I know that a decision immediately, the word says that, that Satan's going to wait outside this door and the demons want to take that decision and immediately snatch it away. So Lord, I just loose right now that the seed of your word will go deep into people's hearts. Do me a favor and hold your hand up high as you can to heaven. Lord, you see that let there be a fierceness. Let there be a straight elbow. Let there be I am submitted to my king and you have free reign in my basement and I want a clean basement. I want everything in my heart. Lord, I just lose the ceiling of the Holy Spirit that Satan may not steal this. I lose an intensity, a determination. I will be full of joy. I will be full of faith. I will be full of truth. I will have the life of Christ. I will explode with the goodness and the favor of God. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Give the king praise today if you would. Lord! Lord. 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 Now again, I want to ask you either to come talk to Clay and Pam, come receive prayer from elders, or be seated and pray with one other person. Would you do one of those three things now, please?